So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And here we are. It is Saturday. I'm Tom King in the studio, joined by Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. He is back with us this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Is that too loud? Uh, no, I have a clicking in my head. Oh. Unfortunately, this time it's coming through headphones, but let's go ahead. We have a backup here. All right. 715-845-2155 is the number to call here. If uh, you have a question about your portfolio, uh, investments in general, uh, preparing for your retirement. We talked a little bit about estate planning last week with Alan Haugam, who was on the show, and some of the uh, new rules and new laws and the bad ideas that used to be good ideas, like uh, giving your house to the kids. Uh, that's not <laughs> a thing anymore, if you listened to Alan last week. I want to start, I guess, this week, we can talk a little bit about uh, a major company that is splitting into two companies. Uh, it was announced late this week that Johnson & Johnson planning to split into two companies separating their consumer products and pharmaceutical businesses. Um, I guess when a big corporation does that, it's happened before with others. Uh, oh, many. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, General Electric, I think, did it. Uh, some others. General Electric's doing it right now. Yeah. Now they're splitting themselves in three. Why does a company do that? And why does that, why is it good for the company? And what are some of the drawbacks for a company? Well, uh, you know, first of all, folks, I made the joke and said, is Johnson and Johnson going to split the company into two places? One of them called Johnson and the other one's called, Johnson. Uh, so, that, that's not the idea. Uh, okay. Well, just remember that uh, <laughs> that uh, investment guys are not stand-up comedians, as we prove every week on the hey, show, right? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey! I'm looking for a side job. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of times companies will do this, and they they have the belief, and uh, of course they're doing their work and their analysis that if they split the company up, it's going to be worth more by splitting in half than it is inside of one place. Some companies do it for liability. If we take a look at um, Philip Morris from years ago, what they did with the cigarettes and the tobaccos, and they split it up to food and the tobaccos. Some co companies do it for liability. Johnson & Johnson says it's not about that, even though their baby powder is accused of causing cancer, and uh, that's uh, one of the reasons maybe why they're doing it. Huh? And, and I'm pointing a finger at Tom right now, so that might be part of it. But, you know, a, a lot of times you look at it and you say, okay, if uh, if Johnson & Johnson's worth $100 a share, and I don't know what it is. I'm just making this number up, folks. If it's worth $100 per share, but you split it, and that the sum of the two totals then is be worth $125 a share to the shareholders. Why wouldn't you do that? Because it's going to gain value to the shareholders into both companies. You split them in half and let each run the way they're supposed to be. So that way, if you have one side that has a potential of having just extreme growth, but the other side is going to have moderate growth, why average them and just let one go crazy and the other one do the, the moderate growth that they have? And, and so I would suspect that it's going to be much the same here with Johnson & Johnson. We're seeing the same thing happen with GE Capital. GE Cap I'm sorry, not GE Capital, GE a GE for a long time, and by the way, you know it's been a big bellwether stock, and it's got so many business students. It's like a mutual fund in itself when you buy GE. And people have said for the last 10, 15 years that if they split up, they'd be do better because certain components, if it can really take off, other components are kind of dragging it down, um, uh, uh, more so inside of the 2008 area. Um, back then, the GE capital was having such a problem, and it was dragging the rest of the company down. So split-ups are not normal. I'm sorry, are normal. Uh, they happen. They're not abnormal in the sense that 
Uh, uh, they're done usually for a reason, but it's almost generally to create shareholder value or, as we said, to save it in case there's problems coming. They think that it's a positive, otherwise they wouldn't do it. What are some of the negatives, though, when you look at something like that? What can happen in a bad way if, if you do something like that? Um, you know, the bad way is that one of the companies just gets fleeced and shareholders don't like it, and they say, we're out of here, and they leave. Um, they sell off those parts of the shares, and we see the one company go down in value where the other one goes up, and the opposite thing occurs, of course, obviously, is that we lose shareholder value if we have stock inside of both. Um, uh, that can be the negative of it. Um, I don't know that we see that as much as we might believe. Um, even if we go back to Philip Morris, you know, splitting into Ultra and, and, uh, and uh, Philip Morris, um, both ended up taking off, even though we had all the tobacco lawsuits and that whole, but they both ended up going up in value and still continuing to gain. Um, but it's all going to be dependent upon uh, the management because obviously the management also gets split in two different places. So what would you do if, A, you have a big holding in Johnson & Johnson now, or, B, you were thinking about buying Johnson & Johnson? Good time to buy, or should you wait? Um Without having an opinion on the stock, which, of course, you we're not allowed to say um, uh, in here what we think, but um, I like Johnson & Johnson, and I would consider it um, because they probably, like others, have more things coming down the research and development pipeline um, that I think are going to be very, very good. Um, you know, the, the whole COVID thing, folks, is, is it's, it's not over with, and the new types of uh, therapies that are coming are just tremendous. Um, and so I like the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, Johnson & Johnson's right in the middle of it. They've been in that business for a long time. Um, I don't think that I would get rid of the stock. That's my opinion. But I'll look at that research and development on the inside before you make that recommendation to see if it's best for you as an individual investor. There, I got all my compliance stuff done. <laughs> 715-845-2155. The other company that was in the news this week was Tesla. Um, taking a big hit after it was announced that... Uh, Elon Musk was going to sell or had to sell like $50 billion worth of stock in order to pay his tax bill. Um, the stock took a big, he lost, what was he, he lost 50, he, no, he lost $50 billion in like one day uh, in stock value uh, in, the, in the company. I think it was $5 billion, but he has to take out $10 billion, I thought it was. I'm going from memory here too, but I thought he had to take out $10 billion for taxes, so he had to sell some shares. What a terrible problem to have to have, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he sold $5.7 billion worth of shares, uh, and Tesla just had its worst week in 20 months. So, I mean, there was a reason why he had to sell the shares. He had to pay his tax bill. So why did the stock take take a big dive like that? Well, it's a, it, like anything else, it's supply and demand. And so as a result, if you have somebody selling, it drives the price down. Um, you have somebody buying, it drives the price back up. And so it's kind of a normalcy. If you were a believer in Tesla and you like the stock, it would have been a perfect opportunity to say, okay, he's going to start selling off. Uh, let's start picking some stuff off as a discount. I'm not sure how much it dropped down. Was it was it 5%, I think it was? I'd have to look here. I can't remember. Yeah, that. all right. Okay, but <clears throat> but again, normalcy. You have some of these very wealthy individuals. they got to pay their taxes just like you and I and everybody else, and they sold off some shares in which to do so. So, you know, look at this, Tom, and here's, here's one of the things I want to kind of warn people that are out there. You know, if we look at, here's obviously the wealthiest person in the world, uh, Elon Musk. Um, uh, his wealth is so high, we really don't know exactly what it is because he has so many private holdings of companies like SpaceX and others. So, so with that, you have somebody who is now selling off some of his shares because he has, has to pay taxes. When we look at some of the taxes that are proposed, the new tax will be proposed, um, uh, coming up from the government right now is going to force a lot of billionaires and ultra-wealthy to do the same thing. 
Now, this is one person selling off some shares, and it caused that much of a disruption well, of the stock. It's, it's so interesting. we got to watch out for this new tax stuff that's going on. It says Tesla still, uh, closed down 2.8% on Friday, and yet uh, Tesla shares are still up about 46% for the year following a record closing price on November 4th. By comparison, Ford shares are up 120%. General Motors shares are up 51%. Volkswagen shares have risen about 66%. So not as hot as it once was, but still up 46%. Anybody's going to take 46% return, right? Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> that's bad news. It's 46% up and that's bad news? I, one I don't, of, one I don't of the proposals that. that's out there, Tom, is that um, so if you have a, um, and I don't remember what the wage, I think it says 10 million up. I think it was the wages I read this morning. If you're, uh, you had investments of 10 million up and you went up that 40%, you had to sell and pay some tax on it, whether or not you sold it, you're going to be forced to, um, or some rendition of that. And so now think about it. If you have the ultra wealthy, they're doing this, having to sell, that's going to cause an effect in the marketplace every year they have to sell. It's really a, a bad policy to go forward that direction. Are you familiar with the electric car company Rivian? I've heard the name. Rivian is already trading at more than double Tesla's valuation, and it already has a stock valuation that is above General Motors. And most people in the country have probably never even heard of them. How is that possible? Um, insanity? <laughs> you know, I, we've talked about this with Tesla. You know, uh, you know, early on, they're a car manufacturer. And I have so many people say they're a tech company. Well, They've got a lot of cool tech, but they still make cars. I mean, that's their bottom line. Are they making a profit selling cars? And the answer is, yeah, they are. Um, and so, so, so from that, you only have a certain valuation that you can have. <clears throat> as far as diversity of vehicles, I don't think Tesla has it over like a Ford or General Motors. And then you have some of the new companies, like was it Rivian you said? Rivian, a record-breaking IPO on Wednesday. They raised yeah. about twelve billion in market uh, its market debut Wednesday. Stocks of the share uh, of the company closed up five point six percent on Friday, up about sixty six percent since its debut on Wednesday. Yeah, and, they've and got so, they've got pre-orders of fifty five thousand for their SUVs. That's only fifty five thousand cars. You know, some of the valuations of some of the stuff just just amazes me. They, um, they do have an order. To, to be, they it, do have an order to build a hundred thousand electric delivery vans for Amazon, so that might have something to do with it as well. Very well, could be. You know, um, I, I look at this, and so one of the things I'd like to see, and I'm not sure that I could see that, is where were the shares derived from or purchased from? Um, did they come from brokerage houses? Did they come from uh, the Robin Hoods, where it was the you know, the young kids going in there and buying into it? Um, it'd be interesting to me to see where it's coming from. Um, we see, folks, so many instances where we have the 30s and 40-somethings, and I'm not picking on them. Uh, they're using Robin Hoods and buying different investments and so forth. And, and I'm happy that they're using Robin Hood or different places, um, in a sense, because they're investing. They're putting some money in. They're putting some capital into the system. Um, they're buying and they're learning, and it's fantastic, um, except there's a whole bunch of emotion on it. You know, for the, the people who started investing over the course of the last two years, they all think they're going to make 20% and 40%, you know, every single year and it's just not going to happen. And so the part that's sad about that is companies like this that are starting out, they got some great orders, but they don't have the giga plants that you're seeing at, at uh, you know, like with Tesla and places around the world and stuff set up yet. And for them to have these valuations, I just see bad things happening to the stock and to the young kids, if that's what it is. And that'd be my suspicion. Um, uh, when reality starts heading in and say, what, the stock's not worth much. So God, you know, I, I hope that they, like Tesla, turn the corner and start making some money. Uh, it wasn't a great, great week for Robinhood either. They had a, a breach where a bunch of their data was released to the public. 
Oops. I mean, yeah. You know, this is happening so often now. It's not even a surprise anymore, is it? When companies get hacked and and data is released, it should we expect that all of our data is out there at some point? Um, if you're doing stuff I online, think it already is, Tom. If you're um, doing stuff online, if you're paying bills online, if you're so doing banking online, from, uh, this comes from a. Uh, he was a keynote speaker at one of our conferences probably about four or five years ago, Tom. Um, uh, if I have to think about it, I think it actually was the last time we were out in D.C. And um, the person we are talking to, and I had long since forgot his name, but he's really good friends with our chief uh, compliance officer and our broker dealer. And uh, so we invited him to speak on behalf of it. Now, he's in charge of Secret Services. The Secret Service is in charge of all the Internet crimes. And uh, he said, if you think your information isn't already out there, um, you're wrong, because it is. Somebody already has your data someplace. Um, But the people that are looking for it um, are looking for the ones that are easy to crack into, and that's the reason you want to have a highly sophisticated password rather than your child's birth date or your child's first name plus 01. Um, Did I just guess yours, Tom? He looked at me and went, oh, man, that's it. Dang it. Now i got to change yeah. it again. So so, so he said the information is already out there. In fact, I've said the story on this before, and I always warn for people going to hotels. Um, and I actually have to talk to my wife about this regularly, too. Um, he was at a big hotel in, uh, you know, the East Coast area. And this is the person who's in charge of Internet security and crimes with the Secret Service at the time. So he said, uh, I knew the owner of the hotel or the manager of the hotel, and he said, we seem to keep getting people breaking into our stuff. Can you come take a look at it? He said, sure. So after work, he still has a suit on. He walks in. He put a tag on his lapel, and uh, he said, I turned it around so it wasn't anything that anybody could see other than it was just a tag on my lapel. I walked in, and I said, okay, where's your uh, router and your Internet stuff? I have to take a look at it. Oh, sure. And they walked him back and showed him where the room was, opened the door, and let him go in. That's the first problem is they let anybody walk in. Yeah. Uh, then the second problem, they look at it, and the whole thing, he had you know a scanner with him. He put it up there, and there was nothing secure inside of it. And so he said, just for in- information, he said, I went through and I captured about 40 or 50 people's um, addresses, passwords, all the stuff that they had in there. And I walked to the manager and said, here's where your problem is. You're entirely insecure. I could take all this information and data. And the hotel and the chain went, oh, no. And he said, one of the biggest places where people tend to get hacked is when they stay at hotels. And because use, not only is and, your and use information, the wi- use the Wi-Fi, and you use the Wi-Fi at the hotel, because they're typically unsecured, and they'll tell you it's unsecured, um, but that also means that the guy in the building next door is tapping into it, um, and they're collecting all that information and data. So his advice was, don't do that. You know, use your phone, um, and if you're, you're going to use a phone, use a VPN, um, especially if you're inside of a larger city, inside of hotels like that. Um, but don't use the free Wi-Fi in hotels. That was the biggest uh, thing we had uh, had there. I would imagine everybody listening to the show this morning uses the free and Wi-Fi in going, hotels. What? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't. I won't use the free uh, uh, Wi-Fi the hotels. Um, his thing was get a phone with unlimited data and get a VPN for your phone if you're traveling and only use that. And if you're going to use an iPad or something else, um, use your phone as a, uh, as a hotspot. And I think that's more important today than it ever was. But if you believe, folks, that your information isn't on the Internet or isn't out there someplace, that somebody doesn't already have it, you're lying to yourself because somebody already does. Um, I'll have people say, well, I don't want to go in and do any banking because I don't want my stuff out there in the banking system, that whole bit. But then they'll order groceries. It, it, same thing. doesn't matter. So if you have anything that you're looking at online, unless you're just looking at um, sports, but not sports betting because that puts your stuff out there, 
um, somebody already has your data. Well, it's all going to be really I mean, compliant about your uh, your passwords. We're at a point now where no one is going to give up the convenience of buying stuff online with a credit card or something. There's yeah, no way yeah. we're giving up that convenience, right? So yeah. what um, can we do? Except for my wife, who who doesn't know how to do it. She never has any good luck at <laughs> online purchasing. Folks, I save a ton of money ah, because of that. It's mm-hmm. awesome. I, on the other hand, am really good at that, and I spend a ton of money, she, it seems. She, she obviously is not listening this morning. So. Uh, no, she never does, thank God, so I get to pick on her. <laughs> so, I mean, what, I mean, so we're not giving up the convenience. We're going to keep shopping online. Yeah. Why? How can we protect ourselves then, or can't we? you, you got to go through other uh, services to get through, and uh, uh, this is beyond the scope of what we started talking about, but it's a, a great path to go down, Tom. You know, I like looking at companies like PayPal. Um, and, and one of the reasons I like PayPal is I'll, I'll buy a lot of stuff online and I want to use PayPal because it's all running through a third-party source and not going directly wherever I am. So I like using PayPal. Uh, PayPal also have guarantees in it. They know what it is. They, uh, you know, uh, have some interception in the middle of that. They make sure that it's verified whoever they're doing business with. So I like using PayPal, and that's one way to really kind of do that. The other part is, is, is you shouldn't buy online with a debit card. I'm guilty of it too, folks. But um, if you... You know, if you have a bank that says, well, we're not going to bank up your coverage. We'll give you $50, but that's about it. We're not going to bank you up. You don't have any recourse to that because the banks don't have to pay for things that were stolen or identity stolen with credit or debit cards. Credit cards, on the other hand, um, uh, you do. Yeah, so, but they make it so difficult you know, to recover recover that, that money that you almost throw up your hands and say, I, I'm just going to pay it. I'm not going to mess yeah. with it. Um, credit cards, uh, you know, you can refute it and say that's not my claim. Um, and so this is, again, going back to this gentleman from the, the Secret Service that spoke to us. Um, and so that's another way we protect yourself. The other thing is you got to look at your stuff every single day. Um, I bank here at, at People State Bank, and I'm going to give them some kudos here. Um, so with People State Bank, you know, I can turn my, my debit card on or off. Um, if there's something fishy that comes up, you know, they're sending me a text and say, is this you? Is this not you? I mean, it works out really, really well, except I had to get a new card just because I wore one out, folks. And uh, so they sent me the new card. It's got all the new dates and all that stuff. Of course, now I have to go through and all the you know, auto purchases and redo them, all that kind of stuff. Um, but now it won't let me for one reason or another. Uh, it wouldn't let me buy. Oh, God, it was a, it was, I was trying to buy lunch at some restaurant. It wouldn't let me do it because it didn't recognize who it was. It wouldn't let me buy lunch with my debit card. But the security is that good. I guess I'd rather have that than not. You sure it wasn't um, telling you that you had to eat less? Is that the reason? Well, why maybe maybe it's got some sort of a diet app to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, your doctor has tapped into it a little bit. All right. My doctor has my, my, my spending habit information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> telling you that you have to eat lunch at a place with lower calories. Yeah, well, uh, good, good app. All right. Well, we need to take a break for some news here. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, today's the day to get it answered. Because he's going to be out in the woods next week chasing Bambi. You won't be here be. for a couple of weeks, right? Um, uh, well, uh, next week for certain I will be gone. The week after, our good friend Alan or Best of is on standby, depending upon how I have for success for the rest of the week. The second week at Deer Camp, I can only imagine what that's like at the Palatial Kelch Estate. Well, there's, there's a lot of air freshener needed. Yeah, all right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more here on WSAU. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated and it can last a lifetime. Living with a condition can sometimes be a challenge. It may take... We can alone. Join in. Experience the joy of serving. Be part of the movement. Give back. 
Let's unite the world for good. We are Lions. You can be too. Visit WeServe.org. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. You found an article that you wanted to discuss a little bit about some things happening in the near future and maybe into next year. Yeah, but I don't know how to read. <laughs> All right, so folks, this is uh, uh, one of my favorite economists, uh, Brian Westbury, comes out of uh, First Trust of Chicago. And so every week he has um, a, a Monday morning outlook, which um, I read uh, pretty religiously. And one of the things he goes through, you know, what happened with the government and kind of stuff and comes through a, uh, an idea about different things and how things might, politics might get into place and the numbers and that whole bit. And aside from all of that, the one things I just want to touch uh, base on is um, he said uh, in his last paragraph is from a forecasting point of view, uh, 2021 was simple, solid economic growth. And there's no doubt that was going to be the case. Um, higher inflation because there's so much cash out there purchasing things. Um, in a bull market in stocks, that would have been our mantra all year long. And he says, as we focus on 2022, the Fed is still pumping money, interest rates remain low, and the economy continues to add back jobs it lost during the lockdowns. At the same time, election results are going to show some backlash against bigger government. And so for 22 at this particular point in time, he says he looks for cautious optimism. Um, and, and the thing I look at in that is cautious optimism. There's so much cash still looking for stuff to buy. That's still going to continue to keep driving demand in the marketplace. Um, and hopefully with more people back to work, we tend to get the uh, supply chain done, and that'd be good. And I think the part that has some pessimism in the marketplace is what's going to happen with taxes and inflation? Will it persist and become an issue? Well, it's interesting to me that it, it almost seems weird that, you know, we're seeing these recoveries in, in, in different industries. Uh, the unemployment rate's low. The market set another record last week, and yet inflation is still rearing its ugly head. Uh, and prices, uh, you know, prices seem to be going up on a lot of different stuff. Now, some of it's the supply chain situation, and when they get that handled, which I, apparently they're on their way to doing, um, and the, the, I think the infrastructure is going to help with the ports and all of that stuff, but um, the inflation, you know, rising like this, when all the other signs look positive, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, it is weird. Um, you know, I, I look at it and say, can I explain it? Can I Can I... Can I explain why the beef is a little bit more than uh, than it was from last year, the, the uh, bacon? And that's one of the articles we have pop up here certainly to chat about. And, and I guess I can to a certain degree. Some um, of it, I guess, would be what? Wage inflation because people, the companies are having to pay more to keep people in, in, yeah, employed. Yeah, wage inflation. I think fuel has a lot to do with this. Um, uh, believe it or not, folks, animals don't actually walk up to the, the butcher yards. Uh, they have to be trucked there. And so that's going to add to the bottom line to the cost. Um, wage, of course, increases are going to add to the bottom line of the cost, and that's all going to drive. And not only that, Tom, but if I got a few extra cash sitting around inside of it, you know, maybe I'm going to, uh, you know, skip the uh, the hamburger and maybe I'll go for the the leaner stuff or maybe a, a steak once in a while, and that's adding to it. So, so I think those things are adding a little bit to it, which are bringing those food prices up. Because I don't know if you've noticed the store, but there's a big difference. I mean, uh, the price goes up. Um, I went to the grocery store, and, and I, I did it uh, early this year simply because of hunting season. I typically do most of the grocery shopping in our house. Um, and I went to the store, and I spent $300 getting ready for what we needed, of course, for the week, but also preparing for Thanksgiving. And, and uh, the joke was this is the most we've ever spent without having any um, cocktails in it. It was just on groceries. But, you know, the, the, the difference was, you know, look at the cost of the turkeys. Like, holy cow, that really uh, did jump up. Um, uh, from what we did. And so the prices at the store are going up, and I think a lot of that has to do with it. I think if they solve the fuel prices, we start to see the rest of the prices start dropping down too. 
Now, remember, folks, when fuel goes up, it acts like a tax to the economy, and we're getting a pretty good shot in the arm of taxes. So um, for those of you that say we need to pay more taxes, well, here you are. How does it feel? We we were talking during the break that uh, we had a news story that was on the news just a few minutes ago about the uh, Medicare premiums going up um, next year. And uh, they suggest that part of it will be off, offset because the Social Security payouts are going to be higher, a 6%, I think, bump in your Social Security payments, uh, the biggest in a long time. But the Medicare premiums are going up, and you suggested, not with your tongue-in-cheek, that uh, they should go even higher, that they're not high enough. Well, I don't think I suggested they should go up. I said, but the number actually shows that they should. Um, you know, I'm a few dollars out of out of the, uh, the the articles I read about this, but you know, the the real cost of Medicare, at least the amount that we should be paying into, um, it should probably be somewhere around 600 bucks if I remember what the right number is, because that's the actuarial proper number versus. Is it, is it 167? I think it's, it's like it's going up. It's it's going up to like no, it's like one for the lowest income. It's like 150, and it's going up to like 170. They're, they're 170? suggesting, okay. yeah, yeah. But the number is supposed to be like 600 actuarially. I'm not saying I want you to pay this, folks, but I mean that's the number. And <clears throat> at some really point in time, that's going to end up becoming the reality as uh, uh, the amount of money going into Medicare and the amount of us baby boomers that are running into it. Um, it's going to be a mess at some point in time coming up, and we're going to end up having to pay more and more of that dollar for it. Well, let's face it. The delivery of health care in this country is already a mess. I mean, in the way it's paid for, the way it's delivered, come on. I mean, every, I know it got worse every, under Obama. Every, no, every civilized, yeah, country in the, every civilized country in the world does it better than we do. It's, it's, it is incredible. Yeah, but it's amazing how they're still coming back here for our research and development to make it work. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call because we haven't even talked about anybody's personal uh, portfolios yet. What are, you, what are you hearing from your clients as we head toward the end of the year? Oh, geez. Anything in particular jumps out? It, it's it's kind of crazy because it's uh, – I always look at this part, and this is the part where I kind of shake my head. Um, we'll get clients that say, well, you know, last year my neighbor got this rate of return, but I didn't. Can you do it for me? Oh, no, oh, no. You know, we get people chasing returns. And we're getting that right now. And, and folks, if you've been listening to this program for a while, it all turns into an averages for, for me. I look at what are the averages going to be over two and three years. We don't invest for today. Um, and so, you know, we'll have somebody who will call up and, and, and say, you know, well, my neighbor got a higher rate of return and I didn't get that. Uh, can your company do it for me? I want that higher rate of return. We look at the portfolio and say, no. What? You can't get that? No, because you don't want to have that type of risk. And, and we see rates of returns that we've had over the course of the last year and a half, two years now nearly. Um, uh, people just lose their minds of what they think a real rate of return is inside of a portfolio. You know, folks, a diversified portfolio should average you between 8 and 10% at best. I mean, that's the neighborhood. Well, we've so talked- we're getting years like this. It's like, Yahtzee, <laughs> we've just talked about this on, to the bank. on the show before, a run-up yeah. in the stock market, sort of like a, a hot run at the craps table because greed jumps right on your head, and oh, you don't want to take money off it. the table. You get, you want to let it ride and just keep raking it in and, oh, yeah. until somebody rolls a seven and everything gets taken off the board. <laughs> this, is, this is where I feel I'm starting to get really old in this business. So I've been in this business 32 years, folks. So I'm not I'm not necessarily a greenhorn anymore. I'm not sure if I'm one of the old season guys, but I've been around enough in a while to see some crazy stuff. And, and so I see so much of this stuff, and then I see uh, the the cryptocurrencies coming in. You know, oh, I'm going to buy a bunch of cryptocurrencies because they're ready to return. And I just sit there again, shake my head. So that is, that there's nothing there. It's not anything. 
So, you know, if you want to bet some money that you're going to lose at a casino, put it in the crypto, in the, in the Bitcoin, that's what you want to do. Um, and then I see so many like hedge fund manager, portfolio manager, we're going to go in there because it's an inflation hedge. No, no, it's not. It's a computer program driven by demand. As soon as people realize that the tulip bulbs really aren't worth anything, it falls apart. Um, and I, I fear that that's what's going to be the case. Even some of the uh, cryptocurrencies that tried to make it so it was hedged and based around the U.S. dollar, so it had some backbone to it. Um, oops, they're getting fined because they couldn't do it and make it work right. So you just compared cryptocurrency to the tulip bulb craze in I did. Holland. Yeah, yeah, and, and at least the tulip bulbs had flowers, How, and they look nice. I would imagine you, your take on this is is uh, not viewed well by some of the younger investors that you deal with. Oh, they're not, and, I'm, and and some of them are my kids. You know, <laughs> but 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 the reality is is that. You know, and I don't have a problem with cryptocurrency, and I think the whole idea of using a cryptocurrency and blockchain um, is a brilliant idea, and I can't wait for it to be straightened out where it works out really, really well. But, folks, if Snoop Dogg can come up with his own cryptocurrency, where are we going with this? Um, probably not in a good place. <laughs> well, ta-da! You know, so, um, you know, I think the whole idea of blockchain is going to work out brilliant at some point in time, and and I had a conversation with some colleagues and said, well, what if we take the G20, We all they all create an index of a cryptocurrency that could be done between all G20 countries. Uh, it's all regulated the same. Um, you have the ability to buy and sell and move the money around. Reporting to the individual countries from a tax standpoint is the same. But you can blockchain it and send it around just like everything else. Um, and it's a safe and secure transaction if you're going to buy a bottle of wine in, in France, Tom, and you're going to have a ship to the U.S. by U.S. Everybody gets paid by a... Um, crypto or blockchain currency. Brilliant. I think it'd be great. The unfortunate part is we don't have any regulation to our biggest cryptocurrencies. There's no regulation to it as far as making sure somebody's not getting, um, uh, you know, taken advantage of or you have some sort of uh, uh, black dealers going through there. And I should say black ops dealer. Or what's the black market? There's a word I'm looking for. I'm going through it and uh, screwing stuff up. Uh, great. I hope it happens. But we're just not there yet. And I think at some point in time, it's going to go down. One of the big hedge fund managers, I forgot who it was, uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, said he expects all cryptocurrency to go to zero. Not me. I don't know if it happens, <laughs> but that was the expectation. And, and the reason simply is because it's a, it's a computer program. You're, you're buying shares of a computer program that doesn't create anything, doesn't produce anything, and doesn't make anything other than the value of those shares go up because somebody else wants them. That's there are going to be a lot of people that uh, go from being very wealthy to flat broke in a very short amount of time. Diversification, diversification, diversification. Before we take a break here, I wanted to get your views on uh, the climate change summit that's happening in Scotland. Uh, came out this week and said that they are uh, most of the countries involved now are working toward getting rid of coal and also getting rid of subsidies for fossil fuels in the next 20 years or so. And it's not just governments now. There are private companies, including most of the major car companies, I think GM, Ford, Mercedes-Benz, and a couple of others, saying that within the next, I think it may have even been less than 20 years, all of their vehicles will not run on fossil fuels, that they will all run on something else. Um, that so may what, be their, their part of generation, but their manufacturing isn't, it's not going to work that way. You know, what is, what does it mean for those companies? What, what does it mean for the fossil fuel companies? First of all, because if they're not getting involved in alternative forms of energy, they're, they're going to go the way of whale oil companies at some point, aren't they? There, there's a certain amount, certain amount of reality. I think a lot of these politicians 
um, and the people at the economic, uh, you know, climate control conference have to have. And don't get me wrong. If we could do anything of power stuff and not have any pollution, I'm in. I'm good with that. I have no issue. But here's the reality. Um, you know, we can buy our electric car and say, I'm, I'm not, I'm good for fossil fuel. I'm not doing anything. This is great. But all the plastics inside of that car are made from, from uh, oil. All of it. You're going to plug in your car. How's that electricity going to get generated? Because um, nobody wants coal and nobody wants nuclear. So what's left? Oil. Sun and wind. How about that? Eventually, but it's such a small percentage, it's not going to work. Um, uh, you know, it, it, not anything reasonable right now. Not only that, but when you make wind turbines and you make, you know, uh, uh, solar panels, guess what's in them? Oil and plastics. Again, fossil fuels. It's not going away. Can we reduce it and do a better job? Yeah, probably. Uh, but it's not going to go away. Can we reduce it significantly? Probably. And I'm okay with that. But there's a certain amount of reality that they have to have. Um, and this whole Green New Deal, we're not going to have any fossil fuels and we're not going to be, it's, it's not happening. So in the meantime, we have, uh, you know, current you know, administrations that are shutting down, uh, you know, pipelines and that whole bit at a time when we continue to need these fossil fuels. And it's probably a major contributor to the inflation that we have. Um, so we have to have a reality. Can we reduce it dramatically? Sure. I mean, the biggest user and polluter in the world of of coal in our, our technology here for coal in the U.S., folks, is really bleeding good. Um, uh, but China is probably some of the worst. They burn it. The stuff that's coming out is black. I've been to uh, uh, Asia where they wear masks, and it's not because uh, of any other reason, because it, other than the pollution is just so bad. Um, it's just terrible. Um, uh, you know, so we have to get on them. Well, at this point, and, and we are, I mean, and, and, the, and the rest of the world. Public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. We're back. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. We've got a few minutes left. If you have a question for Merle, don't forget to Badger football coming up. Badger game to beginning at 9 today. Early kick, 11 o'clock against Northwestern. What else is on your mind over there? Well, we have an article here by Elizabeth Buckwald. And uh, it says, as employers struggle to find workers, job listings paying less than $15 an hour are starting to disappear. In fact, people aren't even really posting them anymore. Uh, Tom, years ago... Um, I always made it said if I hired an employee, I wanted to pay them more than all the other jobs of the similar somebody else. And people say, well, why do you do that? Is it because um, if I train them, then they're not going to run to somebody else. And I don't have to worry. Keep training them all the time. It causes a lot of you know, headache of having to continue to keep training a new employee. It's interesting because everybody, a couple of years ago, everybody was freaking out about a $15 minimum wage. And now, and now the, market, the market itself yeah, is, yeah. Uh, has kicked that way above $15 in many cases. Um, it it kind of comes to what's interesting is, you know, I'm a firm believer we don't need a minimum wage because the market's going to dictate that and take care of it. And we just saw that happen. Um, but you know, it, it took a pandemic to do it. True. But let's, 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 let's finish the rest of the story in here. So a friend of mine had a, a company that he has a lot of truck drivers and he would pay them less than everybody else and he kept losing them. And so we're out golfing. I said, well, why don't you pay them more than what the competitor is? Otherwise you're just training for the competitor. Why don't you pay them more and then let them train them for you? 
He did that, and all of a sudden he stabilized his whole truck driving force as a result of doing so. So as the pandemic happened, we couldn't get anybody. And so I'm speaking, of course, now of, you know, I'm a trustee of the Eagles Club here in town. And and uh, so we went through and said to start paying people more money simply because we needed to have employees. And what we'd end up doing is we ended up stealing some really great employees from other places because we were willing to pay them more. And so like anything else, we paid for quality. Uh, we didn't pay for the ones that stink. And not only by paying more, but we improved the quality of the people we have at the Eagles Club. And so... We're seeing that's happening now because to get people to come work at your place, 15 bucks an hour isn't going to cover it because everybody's paying more than $15 an hour. So we're seeing the beautiful work of capitalism already happening within the workforce, Tom. Look at Capitalism's already raising the minimum wage, and it doesn't matter. It happened naturally. And and people are still complaining. Uh, well, they're always going to complain, you know. No, so I mean, I mean, businesses making, are complaining now that they have to raise prices you know? on all of their products now because well, they have to pay that. Well, that's a result. That's Although not not all places have done that, I think there's a there's a hamburger place uh, restaurant in the, the Pacific Northwest that pays like eighteen dollars an hour and benefits to their employees, and yet, unlike the scare tactics who said the price of hamburgers would go up to like eight dollars a piece, uh, they've kept it relatively stable and it's 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 a reasonable price. Yeah. Just wait, I bet it's changing now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about the survey that came out this week that said that it was it was. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a large chunk of the population would take a pay cut if they could still work at home instead of going back to the office. Do you think that's going to be a trend here? And what does that do for office space rentals? Uh, all of that market's going to be very changed, I think, if people I, decide I to keep working from home. Yeah. You know, the pandemic is... Um, the pandemic. The way we work become... is, is, is changing, and it's yeah, changing right yeah. before our eyes, isn't it? You know, I, I look at it as 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 the space race changed technology. Um, I think the pandemic changed how we work, um, and I think it's how it worked as a result of, of of people saying, "Well, geez, you know, the job that you have, you're sitting in front of a computer in a cubicle. Why do you need to do anything differently? Um, you don't, you can be somewhere else." And for you know some places, I think that's true. Now, the part that we don't know, and I've read a couple of studies on this, is that what does it do for change for innovation? Um, Tom, I'm, I'm sure you agree with this too. You get four or five people inside of a room to solve a project and get a lot of stuff done really quick because you're all sitting there bouncing ideas off each other. I don't think you can do that right over a Zoom or a teleconference call like that. I don't think it has the same effect. Um, you're spending too much time saying, can you hear me? Yeah, Turn your mic on. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, my, my headphone's not working. Um, so, so, so I think there we lose some innovation. Uh, but for repetitive jobs, maybe working at home is the way. Um, my wife, for example, works at home. Uh, matter of fact, I lost my man room, music room to be has now turned into her office. It's got flower- the joys of getting married. There. There's flowery stuff in my, <laughs> my music room and, you know, in fake fireplaces. And it looks nice and smells good, Tom. This is really bothering me. She made me put a toilet in the bathroom down there. Great. That wonderful. Yeah. Um, so. Well, you'll always have deer camp coming up for the next couple <laughs> of weeks. God, I get to yeah. go there and right. stink and. All right. Well, we're so, out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you uh, on Monday, how can they do that? Well, we will still be in the office on Monday. So give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Toll free outside of the WASA area at 866-355-5100. Or find us on 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street or find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right. We'll talk to you again down the road. Talk to you soon. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Coming up at 9 o'clock, no polka shows today. The Badger game starts early. Badger game day begins in just a couple of minutes. Kickoff set for 11 against Northwestern down at Camp Randall. You can catch all of the action right here on WSAU.
November is 